If you have your Bibles, I invite you this morning to turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, as I said a moment ago, we're going to be looking at the story of God in the Old Testament, and if we're going to look at the story of God and what He did in the Old Testament, then we need to start from the very beginning. And so that's where we're going to look this morning, at the beginning of God's story. And as we look there, we see the familiar story of how He created the heavens and the earth. And as we watch this narrative unfold, we learn little by little that God creates with purpose for His glory and our good. Like many great stories, the Bible starts with the action. In the beginning, God created. We don't find page after page of character profiles telling us everything about God and His character and His plan and His purposes. The Bible just starts telling the story of what God is doing in the world. And as that story unfolds, we learn more and more progressively who God is. We learn more and more about who He's created us to be. That corresponds to one of the realities we know to be true um, in our everyday lives. As we meet somebody for the first time, we don't assume upon meeting them for maybe 20 or 30 seconds that we know everything about them. We know that that takes time in relationship for us to walk with them and to see, because ultimately we know we know someone, we know who they are by the things that they do, the things that they say. They reveal their character as we go. And so as we go through God's story, what we see Him doing here and what we hear Him saying here, we walk through that and we come to know Him better. And so let's do that just starting at the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In the beginning tells us plainly there was a starting point to all this. There was a time when we were not. There was a time when nothing that we see, nothing that we know existed. In the beginning, there was only one. In the beginning, it says God. God is the only one that existed before there was anything. He's the only one who exists apart from everything else. He alone is eternal. God alone exists outside of time and space. That is the holiness and the majesty of God that sets him apart from everything and everyone else. And that may sound simple or obvious, but there are those who would twist or deny even that most basic and plainly revealed truth about who God is. And so we need to start there and say that in the beginning, God is the one who existed. God is the one who took action. And what action he took is he created the heavens and the earth. As the story begins to unfold here, the first thing we learn is that God created everything out of nothing. He created everything out of nothing. We're told that the earth was without form and void. That is not only was there a lack of form or order to things, but there was also a lack of substance or content. It was void. There was nothing. Hebrews 11.3 helps us understand a little bit more what's happening here in Genesis 1, saying, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. What is seen was not made out of things that are visible. In other words, God created everything out of nothing. We'll talk a little bit more about how our creativity reflects God's creativity as we go on in the message a little bit later, but already here we see a distinction between God's creativity and ours. If we're going to create something or make something or build something, then we require the raw materials to do that. 
If you or I decide to make something, then we need supplies. Let's say we're going to build a table together. That's our project that we're going to set out upon. When God purposed to start creating the heavens and the earth, he just started creating the heavens and the earth. But if we're going to make something as simple as a table, then we have another step, right? We need to gather the supplies we need. We need wood and metal or screws or paint or whatever it takes to make the type of table that we're going to make. But whatever that is, you get my point. We create from something, but God created out of nothing. Stay with the table analogy for just a moment, another reality that we see as we compare our creativity to God's is what the table is for will determine how we plan and proceed in our production of said table. Let's say um, we need a table that will seat a family of four for dinner, then that table is going to look differently than if we say we need a table to sit by the end of the couch and put a lamp on. The intended purpose of the table will shape the production of that table at every turn. I've not made a lot of tables or built a lot of tables in my life. In fact, I think that number is holding steady at one. And it might even might not even be right there to say that I built that table. It's more accurate probably to say that I repurposed the base of an old sewing machine and some boards that I found in the barn laying around and made them into what is now a functioning table. But it, that table... carries out the purpose that I intended for it to carry out. It stands in my living room on the side and it holds up a plant and some books and the basket full of remote controls. It wouldn't be a very good dinner table though because I didn't intend for it to be. I didn't build it for that purpose. And so as we think about God's creativity here, we see that God creates And the one who creates defines the purpose of what is created. God, the creator, has a plan and a purpose in creating the heavens and the earth. And we'll see what that plan, what that purpose is more clearly as we go through the story. But we see here in these first couple of verses, the earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. God existed before there was anything. He created everything out of nothing. And so as we go on in the story, we probably know what's coming Next, And so sometimes when we know what's coming next in the Bible or in any story that we're reading, it kind of leads us to jump ahead. We kind of rush past things, but already we could do that and miss what's happening here in verse 2. It says, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In the midst of the chaos and in the darkness, the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters. Spirit of God is ready to speak, ready to act there in the beginning before there was anything. I say we rush past that sometimes at our own peril because in our lives, we've already said this morning, right? There's oftentimes in our hearts this chaos and this darkness. And yet the God who was at work here in Genesis 1 is still at work in our lives. And the Spirit of God is still hovering. The Spirit of God is still at work. And so we see this morning in Genesis 1 and in August 2020, this good news that where the Spirit of God is hovering over the chaos and over the darkness, it's because God is about to do something big in that place. And so let's go on and see what that is. God creates with purpose for his glory and our good. God created everything out of nothing. As we continue, we see another pattern emerging. God created by the power of his word. God created by the power of his word. Genesis 1, 
three through five says, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. We saw happening in verses one and two, it's kind of filled in with stunning detail in verses three through 25. God's power that we see here is absolute. It's unmatched. It is unrivaled. We can see this again by comparing our power to God's because when God speaks, something always happens. When we speak, something that we intend to do or plan to do or that we have a purpose to do, there's often a good amount of daylight as they're not between what we speak or what we say and then what we're actually able to deliver, what we're actually able to produce, right? Exhibit A would be the year 2020, but I'll give you something more specific than that. A few months ago, some of us planned to travel to Honduras on a mission trip in May. We had meetings, We talked about what we were going to do. We prayed about what the Lord would have us do. We had a plan to go and to get there and to minister to the children there in the children's home. We had a plan, right? But the plan didn't happen just because we said that's what we were going to do. Not because we were lying when we said we were going to Honduras in May. Not because we had our priorities out of whack even, but because things happened outside of our control that changed our plan because we did not and we do not possess the power to make what we said perfectly correspond to reality. There are other reasons sometimes why the things that we say don't match up with what we actually do, but our limited power is certainly one of those. But look at what happens over and over again here in Genesis 1. And Spoiler alert, we're going to go through the rest of the Old Testament, but we see it happening over and over again in the scriptures to this day with God, word and action correspond perfectly. When he says it, it happens. Verse three, look at it. God said, let there be light. And there was light. Verses six and seven, God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. Going on in verse 9, God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. God said it, and it was so. Verse 11, God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, fruit trees bearing fruit and wishes their seed, each according to its own kind on the earth. And it was so. God speaks again in verse 20. And then verse 21 starts this way. So God created. He did what he said he would do. And then verse 24, we see the same pattern again. God speaks. And when God speaks, it was So we see it here, and as we follow the unbroken story of God through these pages, we'll see it again and again. When God says it, it happens. God created by the power of his word. There is perfect power in God's word to match his perfect plan every single time. We say God created by the power of his word. We see the power of his word, but in his word, we also see his purpose in creation. Because in these verses, we hear the precision of his planning and the deliberate design choices that he's making. In separating the light from darkness, he calls the light day and the darkness night, setting out the parameters of 
time, which are filled in further in verse 14 as the sun, moon, and stars are told not just to mark night and day, but also to mark signs and seasons and years. God is at work here in these verses speaking to bring order to the chaos. We see more purpose and planning as he creates the sea and dry land and creates the plants and trees and the fish and the birds. As God creates them, he creates them. He says he does it according to their kind, each one with the ability to bear fruit according to its kind, each one to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and the sea. God isn't just haphazardly throwing things together here. What we see here is order and specificity that points to a plan. God's word reveals he's creating with a purpose. And along the way, we see God's creation every time meets his expectations. With everything that God made, he saw that it was what? Good. Good. I don't know if you've ever played the game Telephone Pictionary or not, but our family has played it a few times as we've gotten together for family gatherings. And each person begins with a blank slip of paper. And on that slip of paper, each person writes a word or a phrase, usually according to a theme that has been determined, something like Christmas or song titles or movies. And then everybody passes their paper to the person beside them who reads what's on the paper. But then the twist is they have to draw that phrase or that word, or attempt to draw in my case, on the next sheet of paper. The words go behind the next person they pass it again, all they see is the picture. And they have to try to write out what they think it is. And you go back and forth like this around the table, all the way around, each time alternating between drawing and between writing until you get back to the person who started out and who wrote the phrase at the beginning. And what you usually wind up with at the end, at least in our case, what you wind up with, you might not if you had a family with more artistic ability than we have, but you wind up with a pretty big discrepancy between what you started with and between where you end. Where does it go awry? Right? What's the issue? The issue becomes usually in the quality of the drawing. If you were to look at my attempt to draw a picture of anything, then the commentary on it, as we looked at it together, if it was up on the screen this morning, you would not say, it's pretty good. No, you would say, what in the world is that. And yet, when God creates, when he has a purpose and a plan to create something, he says it's good. What he creates lines up with his plan. It lines up with his purpose for his glory and our good. Not sometimes, not just when the conditions are right, but all the time. Every time God speaks, the product matches the purpose. And so we see God's glorious power and we see his goodness in his creation. As we continue to read here in Genesis 1 and 2, we see that God continues to speak. And so we shouldn't be surprised that things continue to happen, that God created everything out of nothing. God created by the power of his word. And then we see God created mankind in his image. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So we think about what it means to be made in the image of God. We could go in a lot of different directions with that this morning because, because God 
is much bigger than our ability to grasp or describe who he is. And so is what it means for us to be created in his image. But let's look at the, we're going to look this morning at three facets of what it means for us to be created in God's image as we look at these verses together. And so first we see God created mankind in his image to live in relationship. He created us in his image to live in relationship. God says in verse 26, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. But then we read in the next verse, verse 27, so God created man in his own image. Right? Notice the difference. Verse 26 is plural, right? our image, our likeness. Verse 27 is singular. God created man in his own image. But why? Right? Why does it switch there like that? It isn't because God has a grammar problem. It's because the one true God, the only one who existed before there was anything, exists in a community of three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. We call it the Trinity. He is one God. He is three persons. And if that doesn't have you scratching your head a little bit, then you're probably not tracking with me this morning. Because even as we walk through the entire scriptures as we see a fuller picture taking shape of who this God is and how he's working in the world as one God, three persons. The truth is we still have a hard time comprehending the God of the Bible because he is greater than anything that we see or that we know in our lives. And yet we see him saying here, let us make man because he exists in community and in relationship. And so he creates us to live in relationship. That begins with a relationship with him, with the one who made us. It says, God created the man and woman. Genesis 1.28 says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Genesis 1.29, God said, he's speaking to them again. Genesis 2.16 tells us the Lord God commanded the man over and over again. In just these first two chapters, we see God speaking to his people. Even the way that God brings life into humanity is intensely personal. Look at Genesis 2 verse 7. It says, then the Lord God formed the man of formed, let me see, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Right? We sing the song often, it's your breath in our lungs. Right? So we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise, right? It doesn't get much more personal than that. We were created in God's image to live in relationship with him. We see it here as God speaks to Adam and Eve as he breathes life into us, but we see it on a grander scale as God continues to reside and to dwell with his people. Genesis 2, first three verses say this, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. When the work of creation was finished, God rested. He blessed the seventh day. It says he made it holy. The day that God finished creation is a day set apart and blessed by God, a day where he would rest and reside with creation as he continues to do. His purpose in that continues. It's a day where we would be able to walk with him. That's what he created us to do, is to live in a relationship with him. And we see it happening in Genesis 2 as he interacts with Adam and with Eve. We see God dwelling with his 
people. We were created to live in relationship with God, but also to live in relationship with one another. Again, we see in verse 27 of chapter 1, God's creative work perfectly matches up to his creative purpose. Verse 30 echoes the familiar refrain that we already heard a minute ago, and it was so. God created us in his image, and when he created us, he said, it is very good. And so just as God exists in a relationship, he created us in his image to have relationships with one another. In Genesis 2, 4 and following, we read this more detailed account of God's creation of mankind. And we learn there in verse 18 that God said this about man. It says, then the Lord God said, Genesis 2, 18, it's not good that man should be alone. It's not good that man should be alone. God created us to live in community and in relationship with one another. And we see that playing out here with Adam and Eve as God ordains the institution of marriage. But the image of God is not seen only in the relationship between a husband and a wife in marriage. The image of God is seen in every relationship that we have, in every family relationship, every friendship where people are walking in community. So much of what we experience in this culture tells us that our individual freedom to do what we want comes first. I'm told that my desires, my way, that's my identity. But the Bible says that God's design is our identity and that we're created not to pursue ourselves, not to pursue our own glory, not to pursue our way at the cost of others or at the expense of others, but that we're created to live in relationship with God and we're created to live in relationship with one another in a way that brings him glory and brings good to the world around us. So God created us to live in relationship. He created us also in his image to reflect his character Bearing God's image isn't just having relationships. We've already alluded to this a little bit. It's also about how those relationships look because how we relate to God and to one another also matters. We should live in a way that reflects the way God is working in the world. Our morality should reflect God's holiness and his goodness. We're created to be loving and just and compassionate and holy and rational and responsible because God is all those things. People might not always seem good to us today as we look around at our world, but we'll soon see why that is. But here in Genesis 1.31, God says, even after he created mankind, he said, it's all very good. It was very good because at that point, humanity was reflecting the character of God. Bearing God's image means we reflect his goodness and how we relate to one another, but it also means that we reflect his glory, that as people created in God's image, we possess a special dignity among the rest of creation. The plants and the fish and the birds and the animals don't bear the image of God, but we do in a unique way. And so every human life reflects the glory of God and every human life matters immensely. That isn't to diminish the rest of creation, at all, but only to heighten the importance of how we regard every life created in God's image. The way that we talk to one another, the way that we treat one another should reflect the fact that we understand that we're talking to somebody, that we're in relationship with somebody who is created in the image of God to reflect his character. 
God created mankind in his image. Third, that means we're to join in his creative purpose. Join in his creative purpose. God's purpose in creation. We see it in the pattern of creation here. There's certainly more to be said, but we've already seen these two aspects of God's purpose playing out. First, we've seen how God is bringing order out of the chaos, speaking powerfully to divide and direct all that he has made. God's ruling and reigning over his creation We see also, second, how God desires that creation would be fruitful. It was a part of his creation of the plants and even of the sun and moon and stars that they would contribute to the seasons by which the plants bear fruit. He wants creation to be fruitful. It was a part of the creation of the birds and the creatures of the sea. We see as we come to the creation of humanity in 126, we see these same two purposes playing out. God says he's going to make us in his image and after his likeness, and then he tells us what that means. He says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. In the same way that we've seen God working in creation to bring order out of the chaos as he rules sovereignly over his creation, he now says here that he's made us in his image so that we will join him in that work. He places under the authority of mankind, every plant and beast and bird and everything that creeps. That is what God spoke. And so we know, because God spoke it, it was so. Genesis 2 gives us this description of the Garden of Eden filled with plants and animals abounding in life. And verse 15 says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Work is a part of the good world that God created. And it's what Adam did, bringing order out of the chaos. We see there in Genesis 2, 19, we see Adam joining in God's creative purpose and pattern. It says, whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Right, sound familiar? Right, there was somebody in chapter 1 who was calling the light day and the darkness night. God created mankind to join in his creative purpose to maintain order and balance in creation. We don't get to define that order. God does that. We don't set the purpose for what he's made. God does that. And so when God says, you may eat of every tree in the garden but one, that sets the parameters for Adam's dominion. Being created in God's image doesn't mean that mankind gets to usurp God as ruler, but that we live under his rule and in line with his authority. We aren't created to rule for our own selfish purposes and our own selfish gain, but for God's glory and the good of others to maintain order in the world he's made. Like our relationships, our dominion should reflect God's character. Bearing God's image means we reflect and we join his creative purpose to maintain order. But we see again, just as God has a plan and a purpose to Uh, bear fruit in all of creation. We see that he has the same purpose for our lives. Just as he said on previous days of creation, God said to the man and woman in verse 28 of chapter one, be fruitful and multiply. He gave husbands and wives the charge to be fruitful and multiply as part of their creative purpose. But that charge goes beyond the bearing of children even because God paints a picture in verses 29 and 30 of a people who have everything that they need. But as we read on in chapter two, we see that it's through the work of mankind on the earth also that, and in the garden, that he brings about that 
provision, right? That he brings about the flourishing, not just of mankind, but also of the plants and the animals and everything that he's made. God is working through Adam and through Eve to bring forth fruit in the garden. And so already we see in these first two chapters this glorious tension that begins to take shape here. That God is sovereignly ruling over all things and that our choices, our words, our actions bear fruit in the world. God created mankind in his image, not as robots, but also not to be rebels, but to join him in his creative purpose. Our actions produce results. Our lives bear fruit in this world because that's how God created us to reflect who he is and what he's doing in the world. God creates with purpose for his glory and our good. To put that another way this morning, the glory and the goodness of God are reflected in a world where his glory and the good of his people abound together. There's no choice that we have to make this morning between, we don't have to choose between doing what glorifies God and doing what's best for us. Those are the same thing. God created a world where his glory and our good increased together. But I'll just ask you this morning, does the world in which we live fit the description of what we've read in Genesis 1 and 2? You can shake your head this way now. Do your relationships reflect the character and the goodness of God? Do our lives, do the work, the work that we do, our plans, our purposes, do they seem always to bring order or Sometimes does this just bring more chaos? It can, in fact, be overwhelming and disheartening when it looks like everything around us is broken beyond repair. But this morning, I want to encourage you as we come to the conclusion of our time together in the Word today that when everything looks broken, God's purpose in creation is unbroken. His purpose in creation is unbroken. God created everything out of nothing. He brought order to what was formless and void. He brought purpose to the chaos. That was true in Genesis 1 and 2. But the reality that we know, and that we'll see more about why this is next week, it's that this world is broken because we are broken. We've corrupted God's purpose instead of joining him in that purpose. So it isn't hard, as we look around, to find something wrong. We've all fallen short of God's purpose. And it leads to chaos in our hearts and our minds and in our relationships. But this morning, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. God isn't scared off by our chaos and confusion and our questions. In Jesus Christ, God has made a way for broken people to be made new. Some of you need to be reminded today that your identity is not broken. But if your faith is in Jesus, then your identity is unbroken. You are a new creation. And some of you today need to trust in Jesus for the first time because you've tried your purposes and your plans, but they haven't delivered what they promised. Trust Jesus today, follow him, and it says in his word, he will make you new. God created by the power of his word. We see that as we look at Genesis 1 and 2. He spoke, things happen. 
The product matched the purpose. That was true as God spoke all things into existence. But John was inspired to tell us later in the New Testament in the beginning of his gospel, chapter 1, verse 1, that the Son of God didn't show up for the first time when he took on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. As we look at John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The same God who created the heavens and the earth by the power of his word is still at work in the world today in the power of the word. Jesus Christ perfectly reveals and perfectly accomplishes the purpose of God to glorify himself and to rescue us from our sin. And though it might sometimes look like it, it might sometimes feel like it, the light has not overcome, the light has not been overcome by the darkness. God is still making people new by the power of his word. Jesus, the only name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. God is still working in his word to bring about his purpose. Are you trusting his word? Are you listening to what he is saying? Are you proclaiming the only word by which people can be saved? God created us in his image. That's his purpose in creation. That means we're to live in a relationship and reflect his character, to join in his creative purpose. But we know all too well that we've fallen short of reflecting the glory and the goodness of the God who made us. That's why we need to be recreated in Christ Jesus. But the apostle Paul was inspired to tell us, beginning in Colossians 1.15, why Jesus is the one who is able to do that in our lives, why he's able to make us new. It's because he succeeded where we have failed. Colossians 1.15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Some of our best laid plans just lead to more brokenness. We have good intentions, but in Jesus, all things hold together. In Jesus, God's purpose in creation is unbroken, and in Jesus, God is inviting us to join him in his creative purpose. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before and that we should walk in them. Wherever you are, whoever you're with, whatever you're doing this week, God has prepared beforehand. God has a plan. God has a purpose that you would walk in good works, that your life would reflect the life of Christ. God creates with purpose for his glory and our good. His greatest glory and our deepest joy are not in competition with one another. If you don't believe that, then one last passage, and then we'll, then we'll close this morning. Revelation 21. Remember, when God speaks, it will be so. Revelation 21, verse 1, says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. 
And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Verse 23, later in that chapter, says, the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. We live in these days where his glory is being stolen, where maybe evil and darkness seem to have the upper hand, But Genesis 1 and 2 teach us that God created a world where he would dwell with his people in relationship, in glory, and in goodness. And Revelation 21 and 22 tell us his plan is unbroken, that God has said it, and it will be so.